Football season is right around the corner, which means wrestling is next, folks. And it's also time to place your custom team apparel orders for the upcoming season. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your custom team apparel order. SpartanCombat.com. Tell them we sent you. Now, on to the interview with Miles Amin. You know, I'm always thinking about ways to elevate my wrestling. So, you know, where I'm at now versus last year, I think I've, you know, I've gained tenfold. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Olympic bronze medalist, Miles Amin. He's also a five-time All-American for the University of Michigan. Great guy, and I love this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to one of our friends from Jersey, Michael DeCoiti. Michael DeCoit, recent owner of a Wrestling Changed My Life t-shirt. Thank you so much for the support. All proceeds from an online store go to support this fine podcast. If you also want a t-shirt, go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com to purchase. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Miles Amin. Miles Amin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Glad to be here. Yeah, bright and early. We're, we're getting after it. <laughs> yes, sir. 7 a.m. on a Friday in Chicago, 8 a.m. out in Ann Arbor. Right we got, here. A, we got our Jocko says. mugs. <laughs> <laughs> Get after it. Let's do it, man. I, I can't even imagine what kind of a whirlwind it's been for you since Tokyo through Team 100, winning the Big Tens as a wrestler and as a team to Little Caesars to winning the Euros, man. It's like, what's it been like for you the past the past year and a half? It's been a roller coaster. Uh, that's the, the best way to describe it, I would say. Um, you know, just kind of trying not to get too high or get too low and just enjoy, you know, all the the minute details of the process. I think that was the big thing for me um, and why I think I've had a lot of success was just I really loved everything that's happened this past year and a half. You know, not just, you know, the big moments, but, you know, the the disappointing moments as well. Um and kind of learn to grow from those experiences. And so, yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question, I think this, this last year and a half has just been, you know, one of the best of my life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, every chance I look on Instagram, it's you're at a, a Michigan football game or you're driving around San Marino or you're like at Congress. It's like, man, it's, it's just <laughs> awesome. It's awesome to see, man, because 
you know, wrestlers, we'd always don't get that that kind of attention. So let's just start. How did you end up wrestling for San Marino? Um, so it happened back in um, the summer of 2018, I believe. 2017 was when I reached out to them. But 2018 was kind of the, the first year where we had some contact and uh, we we went over to San Marino and did like a tryout. But before that could happen, um, my heritage is my, my grandfather is 100% San Marino's, um, and he, uh, he was born and raised in the U.S., but citizenship is passed down through um, your kids and my mom. Um, that's her dad. So she passed down citizenship to uh, my brother and sister and I. And so it actually wasn't that hard of a process. I mean, really what it was is I was 18 at the time. So I had just gotten my San Marino's passport, um, which was something that my sister and brother did uh, as well. So it had nothing really to do with wrestling. Uh, and Stevan Michic, Dave Habit were at the Cliff Keen RTC. Stevan was obviously on the Michigan wrestling team. Um, but they were wrestling for Slovenia and Serbia. And so they were a little bit uh, ahead of the ball game here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were, they were two of my, my closest friends, um, still to this day. And I remember thinking like, Hey, it'd be kind of cool if we could all just travel the world together, you know, and, and wrestle and compete on, you know, all these, uh, you know, international stages. So I reached out to somebody, um, who had a contact that was a local Samarinese, um, citizen, but they had a contact over in San Marino and, uh, literally just kind of said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about wrestling for San Marino. Is there any way you give me in touch with like the Olympic committee or, you know, whatever they have, whatever organization over there. And uh, long story short, I, I think, you know, um, to, to give credit where it's due, my mom did a lot of the, the process of this. Um, Cause you know, I was in school still competing. Um, and yeah, like I said, long story short, we end up over in San Marino uh, doing a, a wrestling tryout uh, with the Italian like Greco team. And I don't even know <laughs> if these guys were, you know, uh, senior level, they might've been like junior cadet, but pretty soon they found out um, that, Hey, these guys are, are legit. Uh, they brought over a guy who's actually uh, a Greco, like Olympic champ from Italy uh, to kind of like, you know, test, test the waters with us and, you know, kind of give the thumbs up or thumbs down. And um so after that trip, it was kind of, it was a fun trip because, you know, basically before we left, they were like, Hey, you know, we want you to compete in the European championships, uh, you know, next April. And so that was kind of the, you know, the small flame that started the fire. Uh, and from that point on, I mean, it's been, it's been a quite a journey and I think, you know, we're both really happy that, uh, we took that trip. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what did you do to the Italian Greco team? <laughs> oh man it was it was fun yeah i was like I, I didn't really know what to expect obviously you know i've, I've wrestled uh now at this point i've wrestled a lot of international matches but before i wrestled uh cadet pan ams and, and i actually was on the greco team i wasn't on the freestyle team and uh, <laughs> so I, I had some some greco moves in my back pocket but yeah <laughs> once i got a hold of these guys i was like yeah i, I mean I know this is kind of, this is a make or break whether or not I get to wrestle for San Marino. So I was kind of mopping the mat with them. No yeah. offense to the, the Italian, you know, whether it was cadet or junior Greco guys. <laughs> and then, so, and, and initially I thought 
that it was because of your dad's dad because he was from is it lebanon yeah okay and he was an olympian right yeah my jiddo he was uh, a a two-time olympian in 52 and 60 for for lebanon that dude had to he had to have seen some shit in his day like that's a tough dude right there yeah yeah he's along with the fact that he raised you know over uh you know nine or ten children so yeah, he, I mean, yeah, he had a busy life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're, man, he was important to your dad. And I was just, you know, scrolling through your Instagram before this. There's a amazing picture where it's you before your first state title, and in the background mm. you got like the Amin Mafia, bro. Like it's it's oh, pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Actually, that's like one of my all time favorite wrestling pictures because uh, I have my 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 grandpa or my papa, we call him. He's uh. 100% San Renee's. He's in that photo sitting next to my dad's dad, um, who was obviously the kind of the one that started the wrestling uh, in my family. Then you have like my uncle, my dad, some of my dad's college wrestling teammates, like, you know, his best friend. So, you know, I was like, got an army behind me. <laughs> and the dude you were wrestling that night was like a two-time defending champ, right? Yeah. Yeah. Justin Oliver, who was a college All-American too, great wrestler. And I had never beaten him before. I was like 0-4 against him or 0-5. So it was kind of a breakthrough in my wrestling career, winning that match. How did it go? Uh, I won in like double or triple overtime. So it was it was kind of – it was a crazy match. And all of our other matches had been like, you know, whether it was like one point or two points. So it was – it was it was it was overdue, long overdue for sure. But <laughs> I think Justin would probably have something else to say about that. <laughs> now, Detroit Central Catholic, that's kind of a juggernaut in Michigan high school wrestling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over time, you know, it's interesting because I when my brother and I came in, uh, you know, I, I think they had this big vision for the program, but it was just starting to formulate, um, you know, they might've won one state title as a team uh, before we had gotten there in like the last 10 years, but uh, Mitch Hancock who had, who had taken over um, for coach Rodriguez, who was like a legendary coach in the state of Michigan, Michigan hall of fame. I mean, he won state title after state title in the seventies, eighties, nineties. But Mitch Hancock took over and he was starting to see a little bit of success, but uh, like that 2012 now to this point, is kind of when they established themselves as like a national powerhouse. Yeah, I remember Montini going out there for a couple duels. And you, maybe yeah. you guys used to have like a quadrangular duel meet like in late yeah. season. We called it the uh the DCC Super Duels. So That's we had right. like yeah, we had Montini, St. Ed's, uh Davison, St. John's was there when they had like their like I think they were nationally ranked like 3 or 4. So we had uh that was like one of the <laughs> I remember it was kind of funny because that was harder than you know the state tournament usually, um just going out and wrestling four matches on that day, yeah. um year in and year out. And did you know the whole time you were going to Michigan? Uh no, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, my brother, I think he was pretty uh, set in stone about his decision to go to Michigan. Um, but me, I remember uh, thinking to myself like you know, what if kind of, what if I, you know, changed, you know, the course and kind of went and did my own thing. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I ended up getting really close to, uh, to ending up right in your backyard, which was at uh Northwestern. Mm. Um, 
you know, I, I, at the time it was, um, it was, uh, a good time to be, to be a wildcat for sure. I mean, Stevan Michich was there, um, Johnny Sebastian, Bryce Brill. Those are the three guys that hosted me on my visit. But, um, you know, I just remember, uh, you know, being there and thinking, you know, this is, this kind of could be the place I, I could end up at. I really like Chicago. You know, I've been there a few times with my family. I knew, you know, at, at some point I wanted to be in a big city. So I was like, this could be, you know, kind of the perfect place. Um, but then I took my visit to Michigan and that was my last vi- visit. Uh, and, you know, there was just something special about Ann Arbor. Uh, I think I kind of saw it from a different lens when I actually spent a weekend there, you know, with the college guys and kind of, and I think that they knew too, that I was thinking about Northwestern. So there was a little bit of extra, you know, recruiting between my brother and my cousin. Like, I swear everything like fell into perfect place that weekend. Like it was, it was just, uh, it was a perfect weekend. And uh, ultimately, you know, when I made that decision, I was like, I'd be a fool, you know, I'd kind of be, you know, just doing this despite uh, if I went somewhere else, because this really feels like home. So it was close though. I remember thinking I almost didn't even want to take my visit to Michigan. I was just going to sign with Northwestern and I'm glad that I, 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 you know, kind of saw, saw or saw it through and and went on my visit to Ann Arbor. Yeah. I mean, man, you brought up a couple of names from the past there. Bryce Brill. I forgot about Bryce Brill. He was a killer in high school and his career was cut short, but man, yeah, all those guys, it's, it was too bad because Johnny and Bryce, they, uh, they were kind of my hosts and they both, you know, just suffered from some, some kind of career altering injuries. And what was interesting about that class is I think they had the number one recruiting class the year before with, Stevan, Bryce, and Johnny all being the number one guys, and they were all in the same class. Wow. <laughs> so they, they been, had a stud weight class. And there's been a, a lot of turnover at Northwestern since then. They're in a good place now, but, man, had you have stayed, it, I, I mean, it, there was a lot of changes between the past, you know, probably like 2014 to now at Northwestern. Yeah, well, what was so, you know, kind of interesting and full circle about that process was uh, – you know, I made that decision in the fall of 2014, uh, and then I'd be going to Michigan in fall of 2015. But uh, so Stevan was a freshman at that time; he was a year older than me. And in the spring of, of 2015, uh, I was hosting Stevan on a visit to Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he had finished up, you know, his his first year at Northwestern, and he was like, I think, you know, there was going to be some like head coach change and. Uh, you know, there was going to be some, like you said, you know, big, big changes in the program. And he, uh, he kind of just, you know, thought it was best for him to, to move and get out of there. And long story short, you know, he ends up at Michigan and, you know, my roommate for the last six, seven years. So it's kind of crazy it. how, you know, when I was on my visit to Northwestern, he was like, oh, you know, you got to come here. This is the place to be. And then, you know, nine months later, I'm like, no, you have to come here. This is the place <laughs> to be, you know, clearly. <laughs> now was Bormet there when you got there yeah yeah Sean was uh he was just kind of um he got there actually a, a decent while like four years before me but um he took over as head coach I believe in 2018 or 2019 so I think there was kind of a transition period when I got there Joe McFarland was still the head coach but um you know I think Joe was starting to hint at that you know he was going to hand over the reins to Sean and, um, you know, I, I loved, it was kind of funny because I grew up, you know, around the program. So, you know, coach McFarlane had always been somebody that I looked up to as a coach and, 
Um, it was kind of cool to have both him and Sean, you know, as my head coaches, because I have a tremendous amount of respect for both of them. And, um, you know, I think as far as a wrestling standpoint, um, you know, I really saw eye to eye with Sean. And so, um, you know, those first few years that, uh, you know, I got there, I realized like right away, you know, I was like really drawn to just how much attention to detail, um, you know, he paid and, uh, now you look at where the program is today. And I think a lot of it is because of, you know, the, the work that, that not only Sean, but all the other coaches we've put in, you know, since I got there. Yeah. Michigan's one of those schools where all the coaches could be head coaches, hands down, you know, Josh Chirella easily. Um, Coach Boyland was a head coach. KJ was a head coach. Poor Matt, the the consummate professional. I mean, Illinois legend. I mean, we grew up Mm -hmm. with him at overtime and, he was like, you saw him at a freestyle tournament. You knew you were in trouble because the overtime guys were there and they were a force back then. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you bring up overtime and that's kind of a, a funny thing. Cause we've talked about that before and I've actually talked about it with my dad was like, you know, Sean was running, you know, like a, an incredible program over at overtime. Like he had really no reason to leave at the time that he did. Um, you know, I think he had like a few UFC guys fighting out of there, mm-hmm. um, like state champ after state champ. Like it was the place to be in Illinois. Right. 100%. And um, so that's kind of how I knew too. like, you know, going to Michigan, I was like, you know, I want to be around a guy like that who, you know, he obviously picked up and left all that good stuff behind to, to come back. And that kind of shows you where his heart was, you know, when he left, it was like, and the money that he was making at overtime <laughs> had to be ridiculous. You know, right. I, I don't even ask him, but, you know, to, to take an assistant coaching job at Michigan, a lot of people would see that as like a step backwards. But for him, you know, he had this kind of, I think, greater vision, kind of trying to restore Michigan, um, you know, back to glory. And um, I think that I was like really drawn to that. And that's what was a big reason why I went to Michigan as well. Yeah, I mean, when you think about Michigan, first of all, coolest colors in D1, hands down. Like the the mm-hmm. maize and blue is, is the best. And then you got the big house and all the tradition. And like just look at the athletes have come through there. The great Tom Brady. I mean, even outside of wrestling, you know, it's like that's just a, a place of champions when I think about Michigan. Derek Jeter was there for a semester, too. A lot of people don't know that. There you go. We claim him. <laughs> we claim him. <laughs> so we we got we got a lot of bases covered here. No pun intended. <laughs> now was the uh the wrestling facility built when you were there or were you at the Chrysler Center ever? Uh no, yeah. We we were at uh Cliff Keen. Uh or so our training facility training was the wrestling center. Yeah. That yeah, was built when a, you got it there. Was, uh, yeah. I've been there for a long time, but not that long. <laughs> I <laughs> think was... that was back in like twenty eleven. When was they, it okay? They, uh, did that renovation? Yeah, I was trying to think back because I was, I was. This is a long time ago, but the Big Tens were there like that year or the year after, and I remember the guy I went with. We went over to Bana to check it out. It's like the first standalone facility besides Cornell, and the place was unlocked, and we just kind of walked around for a little bit, and we're like, "Holy crap, this place is amazing!" But I wasn't sure. So it's been that long since that's been up. That's crazy. That's an amazing facility. Yeah, it's. I mean, we haven't had to do too much to it because it's. It was, you know, state of the art when it was built, and it's still pretty state of the art. Um, you know, we have our own weight room. We have three mats. You know, high ceilings. Um, you know, all the cardio equipment, hot cold tub. Only thing we don't have is is a sauna. And, <laughs> you know, now that you I'm don't a have a sauna. Level, 
No, and now that I'm a senior level athlete, I'm kind of like disappointed because it's like, you know, as a college athlete, you kind of got to, you know, tiptoe around that. But I'm like, all right, come on, guys. We got to get a sauna. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Well, whoever put the weight room above that little team room, they every time I go in there to do an interview, I was interviewing Sergey two summers ago there for like this Brandon Slade documentary I was doing scares the shit out of you. You'll be at mid interview and someone drops like a, a deadlift and the whole building shakes, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny that they did it that way. Cause in our locker room, it's the same. Yeah. You'd just be like in the locker room alone. And next thing you know, it sounds like, it sounds Boom. like the, you know, apocalypse is happening above you. Yeah. Now, before we get to, I can't wait to talk about Sergey KJ and all the Olympic stuff, but before we get there, Growing up in the mean household, what was that like, and how early were you exposed to wrestling? Um, you know, this is kind of an interesting story because I, you would think at a really young age, but um, I think it was designed uh, this way that my dad actually kind of, you know, like just just introduced it in in a way that was, you know, for, for us to kind of learn on our own. Um, uh, you know, we started off by playing every sport besides wrestling. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, and my cousins, uh, you know, they took a little bit of a different approach. My older cousin, Jordan and, and Cameron, they wrestled at a pretty young age, but, um, you know, for, for my dad, I think the big thing for him was to kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but, uh, he didn't really even tell us that he wrestled, you know, up until we found one of his matches on YouTube when YouTube just came out and we were like, Whoa, dad, like we found this video of you, you know? And, uh, you know, he was at Michigan. It was it happened to be the NCAA finals match, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that his, his kind of goal was to, to not force the sport on us, to let us kind of figure it out for ourselves. So, like I said, you know, we played football, we played soccer, we played, um, you know, basketball, but then he said, hey, you know, I'm uh, I'm thinking about, you know, being a coach at Brighton. I think we lived in Brighton, Michigan um, at the time. And uh, he said, why don't you guys come to practice? You know, so so we went to practice and, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because my brother and I, he didn't even start us on the open level. He started us on the novice level. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, my brother won his first two novice tournaments. I didn't even win. I think I took like second and third on, <laughs> on the novice level. And, uh, so we went to like one or two tournaments our first year at like six or seven years old. Um, but I remember just thinking like at that time I was like, Oh, I couldn't wait to, to like football season or flag football, soccer. You know, I, I didn't really fall in love with wrestling right away. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, um, you know, like I said, my dad was our coach. My uncle, my uncle Sam was also him and him and my dad were kind of, uh, had this, um, you know, joint coaching at Brighton, uh, the youth program. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was crazy because, you know, looking at it in hindsight, we had like John Fisher, uh, you know, coming in and, and being, you know, our coach for two or three times a week. Um, and we would bring in all these guys, even KJ, you know, came and did a camp there, you know, a couple of times in a year. And, uh, so we, we had this incredible, you know, coaching staff. And I think that it was taken for granted a little bit, you know, <laughs> as a kid being, you know, eight or nine years old. Um, but that, that was kind of where, you know, my, my roots and, and kind of where it all started. Um, but then, you know, once I got to middle school, um, I still played some other sports. It was kind of funny. I actually was playing 
you know, basketball and wrestling uh, in middle school in the same year. Uh, kind of How do going you do from that? I was going from basketball practice to uh, straight to wrestling practice, doing a doubleheader a couple nights a week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had that youth energy. So it, at the time, it, it didn't seem like anything. And I loved, you know, even if I didn't play on the basketball team, my brother and I would go to wrestling practice and then come home and play one on one on our hoop. Like that was just kind of how we were. And it was same, you know, with our neighbors or cousins or whoever, just liked always being outside, being active. Um, but once, you know, once I made that decision uh, to go to Detroit Catholic Central, um, you know, my brother was the one who kind of, uh, you know, forged that path because we could have gone to Brighton High School. My uncle Sam was the head coach there. Um, and oh, so wow. what? it wasn't like they had a bad program at all. I mean, he, he actually, you know, um, had built a program that was, you know, uh, a state title contender almost every year. And, uh, he had won a state title, you know, back in the day with, with, uh, another team in Michigan. So, um, it was a really tough choice to go to Detroit Catholic central, but, you know, just as far as academic as well, they had a great, you know, kind of, they were a little bit more strict, had a little bit more of a regiment. And I think that's something my brother and I needed. Um, so we ended up, you know, he made that decision to go to CC and I knew I would follow his path, but um, that's kind of where my, my wrestling career really, you know, took a turn for the best was once, once I got into that room as a freshman, um, not that, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I still, I had some experience in some international turn or some national tournaments um, in middle school, but uh, I kind of dropped all the other sports when I, when I got to my, my freshman year at, uh, CC and said, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to do this at the highest level. So, um, yeah, once, once I got there, um, it was, it was a rude awakening for sure. Um, but you know, my dad, like I said, he kind of, you know, stuck with me along the way and got more involved as he knew that, you know, my passion for the sport grew. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really important thing was, uh, you know, just how, um, you know, he, he kind of knew, uh, at which points to kind of step in and which points to step out, um, you know, and, and that's the, the most important thing is kind of, uh, you know, knowing when, you know, somebody else that's not your dad needs to step in and, and coach you. And then at other times when like, Hey, there's that little area, you know, that little nuance that um, only a dad can fix. And so um, that was a really pivotal point in my, in my wrestling and still continues to be to this day. I mean, it had to be pretty big to not wrestle for your uncle at Brighton, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, it was it was a hard conversation to have as a family for sure, um, and it's an easier one to have today because ultimately he sent you know his his younger son Cameron to Detroit Catholic Central. Oh, so, really? Yeah, and he well he was retired from coaching at the time, um, but yeah, I mean, CC had just built up such a you know. Uh, a great program uh, over time. And, you know, it was kind of like he saw the success that, you know, um, my brother and I had had. And I think he knew that that was going to be the best place for, for Cameron, his son. But what's funny is his older son, Jordan, who's my older cousin, wrestled at Brighton High School. And he uh, he ended up wrestling at Michigan. And, you know, he had a great career. So I, I don't think that it was, you know, he could have gone wrong. Um but it was more so, again, you know, a lot of things people don't see, like the academic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, stress, the, you know, they, they teach you like literally they're, they're saying or their, their mantra is goodness, discipline and knowledge. So 
Um, they take that really seriously. They're like, you're in a dress code. I mean, you have uh, just a lot more guidance there, I would say, than a lot of other places. And, you know, as a, a young uh, young kid, and especially a lot of wrestlers, right, we, we're, we're pent up. We have a lot of energy. Um, it's kind of nice when you have some order in your yeah. life or you can have somebody, you know, kind of preach order. So that was a big thing. And, yeah, we, we laugh about it today at this point. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I think we know that we could have gone to Brighton and probably had, you know, similar success. It was just – at the time, it seemed like the right decision. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, academically, if you were considering Northwestern, obviously your your grades were tip top and all that because Northwestern they don't they don't play. Nor does Michigan. Um, so was it an all boys school? Yep, it was an all boys school as well. Yeah. yeah, and that eliminates a big distraction too. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I think back to that. I mean, you know, one of the great powers in Illinois, Mount Carmel, they're an all boys school. Uniforms you know, very disciplined. And I think back to high school and just, I mean, how much distraction girls were, I mean, for every boy, it's, it's not even fair really, you know, so that, that would remove a lot of distractions. And then the, I'm sure you guys have one of those like, you know, national schedules where you're, like you said, you're doing duels with St. Ed's you're, you know, you got you're you're, it's a, it's really a year round program when you're at a school like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. And, uh, that was another thing. There was like, you know, at Brighton high school, I think, uh, you know, my uncle was, was kind of at the, the, the head of the helm, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that he was, um, he had a few coaches, but at CC, one thing that was, was so great was, you know, they had about six or seven coaches in the room every single day, you know, and a lot of these guys wow. were, were college D1 wrestlers, um, between, you know, Anthony Biondo actually, who wrestled at Michigan just decided he was, you know, local, uh, had lived, you know, around the area that he was going to be an assistant coach at CC. And, uh, you know, so it was him and Mitch Hancock and then Matt Steintrager who wrestled at central Michigan, uh, he stepped in and said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a coach here. And we had, so, you know, he had three, you know, division one wrestlers, uh, you know, Hancock was an all American. And, uh, then, you know, a lot of other coaches that didn't necessarily have the, you know, wrestling, uh, the, the background of a D one wrestler, but, who were there every single day that paid, you know, like I, I was saying earlier, like close attention to the details. And um, so having that support, um, I think, you know, it, it really held you accountable. And uh, yeah, there was a year round thing going as well, where, you know, basically you could go in at just about any day of the year and somebody would be in there. So that, that was a, uh, you know, something that I was really drawn to. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't think people realize how many youth wrestlers and high school wrestlers, including myself, didn't have exposure to D1 wrestlers ever. I mean, like it's that that's a pretty rare thing. And it's just like the sacrifices high school coaches make. Looking back now, I'm 33. Man, they're gone all winter, every day on Saturday, getting home at like seven o'clock at night, six o'clock at night. Like it's a real sacrifice to be a high school coach. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, I, I always, I always tell them this, but I, you know, I'm like eternally grateful for the sacrifices they made because really DCC was kind of what made me, uh, you know, and uh, they, they do, they do it year in and year out with a lot of these guys. I mean, they just sent a, a few other guys, I think two or three guys to division one schools this past year, but you know, every year it seems like, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, popping out of these division one wrestlers, uh, and it didn't happen by chance. You know, a lot of those guys put in, you know, 
a tremendous amount of work into, you know, the, their high school athletes. And it's kind of become more than just, you know, uh, you know, winter sport, you know, or mm-hmm. semester sport. It's now, like you said, it's year round. It's, you know, these guys are, are, you know, cutting short their summer vacations to go to Fargo or, you know, like, uh, you know, in the fall, taking a whole weekend to go to super 32 training these guys all preseason. So it's a year round event. And it's, it's, you know, that's, that goes back to kind of how people say it's a lifestyle. Cause if it doesn't have to be a lifestyle, I think, but if you want to succeed on the highest level, it has to be a lifestyle, you know, it, it can be a hobby, but then just, you know, expect to get the results of, you know, what you'd get out of a hobby. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and when you were going through the high school ranks, was Gabe and Max Dean coming through at the same time? Or like, where do they stack up in terms of your, your age? So Gabe was older, a decent amount, a couple of years older than me. Um, we might've been in high school one year together, um, his senior, my freshman year, but then uh, Max and I were only a year apart. So um, he was always a lot bigger. Uh, Max was, but um, you know, my dad and Dave Dean, uh, knew each other back in the day. They wrestled right around the same time. So we were familiar with the Deans and, uh, you know, Max and I, uh, I don't know if we ever wrestled in, in high school, but we kind of, uh, you know, rekindled the flame and, and wrestled, uh, you know, trained together a decent amount in college. Uh, you know, he, he's a great kid. And, and Gabe actually was, you know, one of the, my, my connection out to Cornell, I spent probably, five, I've been there probably five or six times now, but Originally, it was actually Gabe that invited me out to train. So, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, Michigan is is a pretty big state, but as far as the wrestling community, it's pretty tight-knit. Yeah, I mean, no no better people than the Deans, man. Those guys are salt of the earth. Unbelievable Yeah, people. they're a great family. Yeah, I've, I've been over their house actually uh, a couple times, and, you know, they hosted me. I don't remember what, what holiday it was, but <laughs> they took me right in, and we were playing some sort of gift exchange. and. Uh, so it was, it's pretty cool. They're, they're a great family. That's awesome. Yeah, they are. I love those guys. And it's like, man, Michigan's, I mean, no surprise to you, but they produce some studs over the past couple of years. I mean, Michigan, yeah. you don't always hear about them, but you know, with the PAs in, in Ohio's and right now, Iowa's just killing people at junior freestyle, mm-hmm. but I mean, a lot of good talent in Michigan. Now I, I got to ask, when was the first time Sergey Boglazov walked in the room? I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he walked into the room because he was doing a international camp, uh, the Bell Glazov camp with, uh, him and his brother Anatoly. Um, and I, I gotta, I gotta think about why I wasn't there. I think I actually was, was overseas doing like either that tryout for San Marino or, or something along the lines of that. Um, cause there's no way I was wrestling for San Marino cause Sergey was there. Um, at my at my first uh wrestling tournament so it, it was it was be, that the whole um story started when um he came into town for the bell of camp uh and they were running out of uh, the bonner wrestling center in ann arbor and um you know like i said sean had a vision and uh <laughs> sergey happened to be a part of his vision um and so I think he knew, you know, hosting that camp that he was going to try to make a run at getting Sergey back to the States. And, um, yeah, so the first time I met him was, I think, you know, right when he got to Michigan, his first day there. I remember I was like, you know, marked it on my calendar and I was like, I'm, I'm going to be at Bonn on this day, you know, and it's just kind of funny how how things worked out. And now, you know, he's, he's my coach and um, 
you know, I, I I'm basically around him every day. <laughs> he is uh man. What a, what a guy ever since I was like, um, probably in eighth grade, I'd gone down to the Arizona state camp and he was coaching the women's team who happened to be training at Arizona state. And that was the first time I ever saw who he was. And then of course I watched the John Smith match, which is just legendary. Um, and then, you know, been a fan ever since, but he's a guy who has a completely different philosophy. He likes the big throws, you know, he watches college guys drill and he, you know, says, you know, he'll, he'll point out to you like, this is sloppy, that's sloppy. You know, he has a very high bar mm-hmm. and uh, like, what's, what's it been like working with him? And like, what are some things you picked up that are, you know, not from like your background with folk star with Bormet? Uh, You know, you, you said a lot of it, right. It's, <laughs> it's uh, the perfectionist mindset. I think it's, it's really helped me, you know, kind of clean up and uh, you know, pay a lot closer attention to detail um, in my wrestling, Um, especially from where I was, you know, three, four years ago, I think, um, you know, I, I kind of prided myself on being a grinder and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm still a grinder, but I, I like to think, you know, that I've, I've kind of become a technician in some senses, um, just from working, uh, with Sergey. uh, he's, you know, when it comes to, to technical expertise, I think I would put him up there, you know, on, uh, you know, in the top five in the world, you know, of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's many people that could talk through just about any wrestling position the way Sergey can. Um, and the interesting thing that we've had to work through at Michigan is um, just the language barrier, because obviously English isn't his first language. And um, so when he's trying to explain a move, sometimes it's hard for him to to go into some of the, the important details. But it was funny. We, we had a, a pretty cool experience where we had um, this guy who was training there who was fluent in English and Russian. And when Sergey finally got to to kind of just speak in Russian, um, he literally talked, talked for about 40 minutes and had this kid translating. Right. And I mean, it was like something clicked in that conversation. Like this dude knows so much about wrestling. Like when he finally got to speak his mind, but it was in Russian and the kid was translating, you were like, Okay, so it's not just like a few details. It's just like Sergey, you know, can't explain to you in English necessarily. And he's gotten a lot better um, for sure. But yeah, I would say wow. that that's, that's crazy. That was it, Rustum uh, Umpar? No, it was actually Yuri. Uh, this guy, he he's wrestles for Israel, but he's he's Ukrainian, and he was training with us uh, last summer at the Olympics. And it was literally like I kid you not, sat everybody down and was like. 40 minute conversation, like talking about like, Hey, like you can't just hand fight. Like there has to be hand fighting with a purpose. Like, you know, when I push pull, like fake snap, like I'm trying to go into my next combination, like, you know, and he's like that, that, that's what he saw. He was kind of going in on college wrestling a little bit about how he thinks that there's too much hand fighting, <laughs> not enough scoring. And, um, it was so funny though. Cause a lot of the points that he was making, I think everybody, even all the college guys were sitting there and they were like, this all makes sense. You know, like he, he's, he, he's like speaking straight facts. It wasn't like, you know, he was just blabbering to blab. And uh, yeah. So I think that it's been, it was an adjustment to working with him for that same reason that, you know, you could hit a move what, what you think to be perfectly. And, you know, Sergey's watching and he just says wrong. Like, you know, he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, no, like this is wrong. Like, this is, you know, like, you're not doing it right. And then you, you hit it exactly how you think you want it. He wants you to hit it. And he's like, 
could be better. Like, you know, like, so it's like, it's never like, uh, you know, getting praise from Sergey is, uh, is kind of a rare deal. And, uh, you know, but when you do, that's kind of like, you know, it, it kind of makes everything else, all those, those extra reps worth it. Um, because you know that this guy is like world-class and he's seen technique at the highest level. So, yeah. um, I think it, it raises the standard and that's why my wrestling has kind of evolved so much over the years. And he, I mean, think back to during his era, the Soviet Union was together. So all these countries now that are placing at the Worlds, that was part of the Soviet Nationals. And the guy basically won it every year from like the mid-70s on. I mean, that's how deep the competition was back then. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. He did, he talks about that a lot, you know, back when back when he wrestled. You know, like that's, that's Azerbaijan, that's part of the Nationals. You know, all these Soviet republics were all in the same bracket just to make the Soviet team. Like, oof, my God. Yeah, and I, I don't think he ever had a close match, to be honest, like making the team. I mean, I think it was always – you know, Sergey by a lot of points, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, even on the even once he got to the the, I think sometimes it could it was even harder, you know, making the national team than it was, you know, going through the world championships for him. Um, you know, I know he he prides himself that he can count on one hand how many times he's lost in his career, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if that's, you know, if that's folklore, or if that's that's true. But I mean, if, if it is, which I I think it is it's pretty insane yeah i mean and, and then in 82 he bumped up and anatoly bumped up and they both won it like it was nothing like now you see guys bump up and wait and it takes two three years to get used to the weight they did it in one year and it was went through the world's he said easier than before um yeah i mean and would have been a three-time olympic champ if it wasn't for 1984 most likely you know no disrespect to whoever won it that year but man what a legend and you got him in the room so you're working with him and then KJ, like the ultimate motivator comes in, like one of the, just, was he there before the Olympics or after the Olympics for you? Uh, he was there after, after yeah, the Olympics. He, he, he got there. Um, it must've been, I, I don't know if the announcement was made before the Olympics, but it, it was definitely, Oh no, no, it was after it was definitely after. Yeah. So uh, I got to kind of start to work with him and, and be in the room with him in the fall. Uh, right before the college season started. All right, so we'll come back to KJ because I want to talk about Team 100. Let's hit the Olympics real quick because, man, it was so fun to watch that match against Punya for bronze, that little misdirection front headlock after the single. Dude, that was yeah. just by a, I, I thought he was going to kick out there for a second, and then you pull him back in, and then I thought you had him then, and then the front headlock went once, went twice. Man, what a what a finish. Yeah. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, the best analogy is a dog on a bone, uh, you know, and especially given the circumstances, um, you know, I knew that had I let that match, you know, slip out of my hands, it would have, it would have been something that would have haunted me for a really long time. And, uh, you know, so I felt like I almost, I almost blacked out for that last, you know, 30 seconds in a way I, I, I everything was just so, you know, programmed and muscle memory that, um, you know, I just knew that there was about 40 seconds left on the clock. And I remember the last thought I had in my head was like, I'm not going out like this. And, <laughs> you know, just found a way. Um, and, yeah, I actually got got a chance to watch that match back the, the other day. And, you know, just watching that last kind of sequence play out, I was like, could have played out a lot of different ways. You know, it's just kind of crazy that it, it played out in my favor. And so, um, 
you know, I think the lesson I learned there was, you know, do that earlier in the match. Right. <laughs> Don't wait till the last second or last 30 seconds to, to you know, create a flurry like that. Um, and, uh, but it, it was a pretty cool moment. And especially that it happened in the fashion that it did. Um, you know, I think it makes for a great story yeah. <laughs> at the very least. But what's interesting is actually Deepak Punya is, is here in Ann Arbor. He's been here for the last like two weeks just training with uh, Bajrang. So, you know, I've got to talk to him a little bit, and it's been quite a unique experience. Dude, I forgot Bajrang was there. What is that guy mm-hmm. like to be around and train? Oh, he's a he's a certified psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, I've I've I mean, I've been around a lot of you know, uh, a lot of wrestlers, a lot of you know, hard workers, but he's probably sits at the top of the list when it comes to his pace and just you know the way he trains. Um, Cause I, the funny thing is, is I've heard from, you know, the coaches and from a few other guys, like we'll train, like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon, like once, you know, four times a week and then do some strength training on like, you know, Tuesday, Thursday. So like, you know, we'll go in twice a week or t- twice a day, a few times a week. But from what I hear, Bosch ranks in there every single day, two times a day. You know, and he's in there for like two or three hours, you know, during those sessions. So he's spending like, you know, four to five hours, maybe six hours, uh, you know, in the, in the wrestling room training every single day, which is pretty crazy to me. I mean, I don't know if it's, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but obviously that's what works for him. And, uh, you know, it's made a lot of our guys better between like Alec Pantelio, Will Lewan, um, you know, both those guys have been wrestling with him a lot lately. And, uh, you know, I think that they, you know, they've gotten a lot better because of him because his pace is ridiculous. And, you know, even it, from a technical standpoint, he brings a lot of, uh, you know, new things to our room. Yeah, he's he's like he's obviously an American fan favorite. That match with Yanni at Beat the Streets was just a dogfight. It was awesome to watch. And, you know, you see uh, you'll be on Instagram and you'll see videos of Bajrang doing like these modified burpees, but he'll do like a 100 of them. And it's just non-stop i mean i've never seen someone with that pace before and i think it was uh pantelli was on here just being like dude he doesn't leave the wrestling room during the day yeah he doesn't yeah that's it's kind of like you know i think that's what what he pr- kind of prides himself on and that's where he gets his confidence for sure and uh look yeah, at the so environment out there in michigan dude my god it's it's non-stop yeah yeah we try to we try to host as many you know guys as we can and you know, especially guys that we think can elevate, you know, our own guys. And I think that's something that, you know, takes a lot of, you know, hard work on the back end, you know, between, you know, Sean and all these other coaches, you know, just constantly reaching out, trying to see who we can get into our room. And right. uh, so, yeah, it's, it's something that definitely, uh, you know, we're thankful for. And you mentioned something that's interesting. You know, I would just imagine that all Olympic level wrestlers are going twice a day hard every day. Are you guys not doing that? You have a little bit more pacing and in, in, um, in kind of cycling in and cycling out of those hard two a days. Yeah, it depends. Um, you know, when we're, we're getting ready for a training camp, which we are right now with the world championships, uh, you know, we're kind of in phase one, um, kind of going to jump full swing here pretty soon. Um, once we get full swing into a training camp, I mean, we are usually doing, you know, morning sessions of, you know, more technique or parterre. And then the afternoon would be, you know, just wrestling more, you know, live and in situations. So 
Uh, it just kind of depends on the time of the year. A lot, a lot of the, the for the folk style guys right now, um, the big thing is just, you know, strength conditioning, continuing to stay on top of that. So um, I think that, you know, uh, that is kind of takes the, takes some pr- uh, precedence over, you know, wrestling twice a day. It's like, Hey, get your lift in in the morning and then we'll wrestle in the afternoon a lot of the days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we still are going twice a day. Um, but it's not necessarily like wrestling twice a day, you know, every right. single day. I think that that's the big difference is like, you know, just doing making some gains off the mat. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at as well Is you know, I'm, I'm going up from 184, obviously now to 86 kilograms. Um, and making that adjustment to, to fill into a full 86 kg guy um, requires some, some, you know, extra lifts here and there. And, uh, you know, the lifts aren't necessarily like, you know, picking up a few dumbbells and hitting a few curls or, you know, hitting a full body lift. And so I, I definitely need time for recovery, um, you know, at this point in the process. I mean, it's it's crazy because when you won the Euros this March, you must have been a really small uh, at, for the weight class, right? Cause I was right after the NCAs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was small. I think I weighed in probably at 186 or 187, you know, wrestling at 189. So okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was about, you know, two, three pounds under weighing in. And, um, yeah, I, I think the, the advantage I knew I had was just my conditioning and my, my speed were, you know, kind of in tip top shape. And so, uh, I wasn't really worried about it, but, you know, just going forward, I know that, you know, the, the advantage is going to lie in the fact that obviously I'm a full 86 kg guy or size guy. And, you know, I can kind of have the perfect combination of, of strength and speed. And when you're in this training camp, how long will a phase two last? Um, phase, you know, phase two will probably last like two, three weeks. Um, you know, phase one is, is kind of, you know, these last, you know, two weeks, just really starting to get into some of our, our live wrestling. Like, you know, today we'll have matches. I think that's something we do. We've been doing every Friday that a lot of our guys like is like we do two matches. And it's basically like, you know, you come in, you get your warm up in on your own. And then, uh, you know, you wrestle two matches that are, you know, ref and, uh, you know, basically like a match simulation day. So uh, that's kind of the start of our 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 training camp as we do that and uh you know the fact that we've had some guys in we've been doing that for the last few weeks but usually that's kind of the start of you know when you get ready for training camp we start doing matches on fridays and singlets um, the whole work yeah the whole yeah oh yeah yeah you know you take it pretty seriously um i love it yeah i mean it gets you ready for competition and then you know phase two is pretty hard and then phase three is like hey we're two weeks out and so now it's time to taper and start to fine tune everything. Now you don't have to let us inside the room, but are they putting you and Punia together for some of these matches or is that, is that too <laughs> uh, close to home? No. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Cause it's been like a, you know, like I think on both ends, like, do I wrestle with you? Like does you know, does he want to wrestle with me? Um, so today it'll be interesting. I've wrestled him. I wrestled him once before and uh, I could tell like, you know, he didn't want to do anything. I didn't really want to do anything because you know, just as far as like showing stuff, we obviously both have to show up to the world championships in a, you know, a month yeah. or two. Um, but it'll be interesting because today I'm like, Hey, I wouldn't mind wrestling in a match, but I wonder if he will, he'll want to. <laughs> you think about, man, it's crazy that in wrestling 
fourth place is nothing. Bronze, you're a national hero. And it was freaking 15, 20 seconds. Although between you and me, I feel like in an hour ago, you take them down a hundred times. But in that match, the stakes were so high. It that it just comes down to that, man. It's like that that probably still stinks for him. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, I mean, I think for me, I'm like, you know, I'm always thinking about ways to elevate my wrestling. So, you know, where I'm at now versus last year, I think I've, you know, I've gained tenfold. So I'd be interested. I, I don't know if necessarily, uh, you know, where I'd want to show him that I've gained tenfold is in the <laughs> practice room. <laughs> yeah. You know, when they when they got, you know, everybody, all the, the Indian guys recording. and But either way, I, I think, you know, I, I just I, – I would be excited to wrestle him because he's a high-level wrestler. And whether or not we got to wrestle in a month or two, I mean, that's part of the fun thing of wrestling is, like, I got a lot of tricks up my sleeve. So even yeah. if I show you one or two – you know, you're going to have to kind of, you know, go back and study a lot more than just that to, to kind of get my whole, my whole style down. So is Jaden in there now as well? Yep. Yep. Jaden's in there training full time. Ringer. Um, Ringer. Yep. Ringer's in there. Um, we just got Ben Honus from, uh, you know, he came out from Stanford. Um, so yeah, we have, we have a full room, you know, Pantaleo's there Well, he's, He's taking a little uh, vacay right now. He was in Poland. Um, him and Derek White were. So those nice. guys are on a little bit of a break. But Is Brookie yeah, still got, in there? Room. Or he go no, back? No, Brookie's, Brookie's back in Illinois now. Yeah, okay. after the, the season he left. I think he's he's doing something engineering-wise. He's like one of the smarter guys I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Best mustache I've ever seen. It. Yeah, that too. I'm, I'm kind of paying some homage to him right now. I love it. Mustache. Oh, and we got Matt Feinsilver, who's been a great addition. Yeah, he he just he's been in the room for about the past three weeks now. Man, just those guys of the energy in there must be so exciting when you go into a room. It's like you know, for a long time, people said about wrestlers, it's a lonely thing. You're by yourself. Not at Michigan, man. You guys got the squad in there, and everyone's everyone's around it. And you know, just as we wind down, coming off of the best season in Michigan history, Team One Hundred, everybody came back. Is it true that you really didn't know you were coming back or the whole time you knew you were coming back? I think I knew I was coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I saw it as, you know, I, maybe I would think differently after the Olympics. So I, I wanted to wait until after the Olympics was done to make that decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, my feelings <laughs> didn't change at all. If anything, my feelings became stronger about coming back after, you know, what happened? You know, I got bronze in, in Tokyo. I just felt like, you know, I, I don't like to, to settle on things, you know, whether, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you won, you know, bronze in Tokyo, it'd be a nice way to kind of, there's no reason for you to come back. And I'm like, that's every reason for me to come back. You know, it's just like, you know, obviously I have momentum and, you know, it, it's going to make the season that more, much more exciting. I know a lot of college fans wanted to see me come back and that's, what's exciting about college wrestling is, you know, you, you kind of get to do it. You get to represent, you know, an entire program with thousands of fans. And, you know, the NCAA tournament is like, you know, 17,000 people. So this year was definitely a year where I felt like, uh, you know, I, I, I did it obviously for myself, but like I kind of enjoyed the, the fans and just like, you know, kind of putting on a show for the fans more so than I did all the other years. Yeah. And like, what a crazy year, you know, first of all, Little Caesars Arena, one of the nicest arenas I've ever been to unbelievable facility. But before you guys went on this run, the January duel with Penn State, I was in Dubai at my sister in law's. I stayed up to four in the morning to watch it. 
And it was it was tough to watch as a Michigan fan. And I, of course, I'm a Penn, you know, I'm a fan of wrestling, but I love Bormat and I love you know what you guys are doing. And I think anyone at Michigan would say that was a low moment of the season. What did oh, yeah. Bormet? I mean, that that was crazy. <clears throat> what did Bormet say after that? How did you guys keep the momentum going? Um, you know, we we knew that that was going to be a t- our toughest duel of the year. Um, and just because we were hosting them, uh, you know, Penn State, I think that they do really well on the road or at home. It doesn't matter. So. And if you look at a lot of those matches, you know, there were a lot of close matches lost. You know, I lost, you know, I was in on a shot late and just kind of gave it up, uh, you know, got got taken down off my own shot. Uh, you know, we had a couple other guys at Cole Matten who got injured, you know, and that was kind of the swing in the duel was, you know, he literally like blew out his, his, his ankle, uh, you know, <laughs> in the first minute of the match and had to give up six. Yeah. So there was just a lot of moments that we knew like, hey, this wasn't our best showing, but you know, look at the team we have. We just, you know, we went on the road and, and kind of, you know, put it on Ohio State, which we have never done really. I can't, since I, I you know, I, I can't remember the last time we did that. So we knew that there were some moments that like, hey, you know, it was a little slip up, but um, I think the big thing we did this year uh, uh, kind of in retrospect was leading into the postseason, we kind of changed the way, um, you know, we trained and really, you know, kind of focused on, having, you know, uh, you know, kind of a, a system of uh, when to pick it up and when to slow down. I think we really tapered off and, and kind of peaked at the right moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that, you know, we met as uh, met up with as a team. So there was just, you know, constant communication about where we were at or where we were at as a team. And that was what really made the difference. I think this year was just, you know, that, that communication and kind of the coaches, you know, knowing that we had such an experienced team with a lot of seniors, um, I think that made it possible for the coaches to be like, hey, we, we want to listen to you guys a little bit more, you know, and and see what your body, how your bodies are feeling, where you're at mentally. And, um, you know, had a lot of meetings. And I think that was the difference maker for sure. So not overtraining because like every every yeah, former exactly. UFC champ, they're like, man, wrestlers, we way overtrained. And like once they get to the UFC, they see that. Penn State, I don't think anyone can accuse them of overtraining. They're always fresh. But some of the other programs, like they're known to overtrain. So you guys made a big emphasis on that this year of not doing that. Yeah. And, and we, we that was our big adjustment for sure. I think uh, you know, and I've always been I've always given kudos to Penn State. Um, you know, as much as those guys have been, you know, a lot of my my biggest rivals. Um, you know, I I really do believe in that kind of training style. Like I like to go hard, but at the same time I know that um, there's, there's science behind the stuff. Right. And, yep. um, you know, when you think you're getting in better shape, sometimes you're, you're breaking down your body and you're kind of, you know, sacrificing that freshness and it ends up hurting you in the long run. And, um, so I was really interested in, in, you know, kind of that training style. And this year, I think that it was kind of funny because, you know, when I pulled back on the reins a little bit, that was when I would go out there and, you know, you know, get these big wins late in matches and, um, you know, feel like, like I was in my best conditioning. So, uh, you know, yeah. that, that's, what's, what's interesting about it is sometimes, you know, there's, there's kind of a, this race to nowhere where it's like, I can always do something more, but is it, you know, efficient? And a lot of time the answer is no. Or how about we do some work on the mind versus the body, right? I know you're yeah, big into, exactly. you know what I mean? Like that's, everyone says it's 90% mental, but we don't, we don't spend 90% of our time meditating yeah. or doing self-talk. And 
you know, when you go into the Big Tens, Michigan wins the Big Tens. Unbelievable. Just so exciting to be a fan watching and just, you know, how much it meant to you guys. Team 100, you obviously have a huge win over Aaron Brooks. And I had heard, I think it was on Flow or, or some other interview you gave, that before that match, you were really into the into the self-talk. You know, I'm yeah. just curious, what does that look like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know, one of the one of the big things that's helped me evolve as a wrestler has been working with some performance psychologists, um, and reading a lot of uh, books on performance psychology and just, you know, how to maximize your performance through, you know, that mental edge. And uh, you know, one of the big things that constantly kept coming up was was self-talk and you know, just like um, especially leading up to the hard thing is, is, you know, you can't really talk to yourself for, for 30 minutes to an hour. Right. Like, right. so I would try to, you know, talk to myself about five minutes before my match, you know, start myself talking what that looks like. It can look like a lot of different things, but ultimately it's just trying to get as much positive energy flowing through you as possible, you know, whether, you know, it's that Muhammad Ali, you know, style where it's like, I'm the champ, you know, or, you know, like nobody can beat me. Like, you know, I, I feel better than I ever have before. Um, you know, I, I always tell myself or myself stuff like that. And um, I, I kind of laughed, laughed about it. You know, the first few times I did it, I was like, you know, this seems like, you know, a uh, little hokey, a little, little cheesy, yeah, a little hokey, a little, little cheesy, a little corny. But um, and then, you know, I went out there and I just felt really fresh when I do it. And I was like, you know, <laughs> there's there's something behind this for sure. You know, that's there's you know, a reason why the best athletes in the world do this. Um, and I think that ultimately what the self-talk did for me was it just helped me stay so calm in big moments, um, you know, because I had something to focus on. Um, I know a lot of wrestlers can probably relate to this, but like, you know, five, 10 minutes before your match, if, if you don't have something to focus on, your mind can run wild. Like, you know, you can be thinking about the worst case scenario. You can be thinking about, where you're going to eat for dinner later, like, you know, after the match, like, and all the things that you don't need to be focusing on, you end up focusing on. So that was a big thing for me. It was just, and I'm, I'm big into meditation. Um, I still am. And that's something I don't think that I necessarily just do for wrestling. I think it's kind of helped me, you know, like restore order and balance in my own life, you know, just try to wake up in the morning and take, you know, 10 minutes to meditate. And so all these things kind of, you know, are, are things we talk about and, like you said, sports psychology, you know, and, and 90% mental is, is really what wrestling is, but you got to do these things. Like you can't just, you know, say it's mental and then not put in, it's just like you would put time into perfecting, you know, an outside step high crotch or something like that. It's like, you got to take time to perfecting these mental games or these mental aspects. And it's not always a, you know, a linear path, you know, it's sometimes it's up and down where, it didn't work. And then you got to go back to the drawing board and say, all right, cross that off that, you know, I don't like that. And so it's, it's a constant, it's a constant battle, just like, you know, the sport of wrestling and the technical and physical aspect is. And uh, so that, that's a big lesson I've learned is just, you know, like you got to add that stuff in. And I think the highest level wrestlers do um, there's far and few out there that, you know, I, I think are at a level where they don't include a mental, you know, some sort of mental, you know, performance training, you know, yeah. in their wrestling. I love how you do the self-talk at like a certain period before the match, like five minutes out, 10 minutes out, because like you said, you're 10 minutes out, you're in the tunnel. That's when the self-doubt comes in. And if you let that stay in there, it can be 
to your detriment, you know? And it's like, so you have a little, I'm going to use that actually before some of my big meetings, five minutes out going to a little self-talk, man. Hey, I've, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I've been in some, some situations even in the last, you know, six months that aren't wrestling related where I'm in the car and, uh, you know, I just turn off the music, turn off the radio and I just start talking to myself. And even, you know, those moments where they weren't wrestling related, I've had, you know, great outcomes because I feel like, you know, the self-talk was there and I can walk into a meeting or walk into an exam with like a hundred percent confidence. I love it. I love it, man. Miles, I mean, you've been so generous with your time. I, I do have to ask about this, though, man. Outside of the Nationals, a runner-up finish, I mean, five-time All-American, unbelievable. How did the 14,000-foot mountain get the best of you? How close did you get to finishing uh, that thing, man? Yeah, that uh, that's that's a, a tough story. Did you uh, underestimate it? I underestimated the mountain. Uh, I think I just underestimated the time of the year I was on the mountain. <laughs> so set the stage. Uh, Where are you guys at? And I've never climbed yeah. 14,000 foot before. Yeah. So um, I was out in Denver. Um, one of my buddies, long time, like lifelong friends, him and his, his brother um, lived out there. So I went and visited them, planned this trip uh, to hike this uh, Mount of the Holy Cross is what it was called um, for the hikers out there. It's, it's not an easy hike. It was uh you know, uh, one of the the tougher ones in Colorado, but the thing that made it terrible was that we decided, I don't know whose idea this was, but we decided we were going to sleep at about 10,000 feet elevation. Um, so we were going to hike about three or four miles and then camp and then wake up the next morning and finish to go to the summit. But when like we went to set camp, up camp in the wild, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the wild wow. in tent camp, which, you know, actually is, is a great experience if you do it the right way. But when we got to the campsite, every single spot had snow on the ground. So like, <laughs> so like I, I brought a, a pretty nice, you know, sleeping bag, but it didn't do any justice. I mean, I was shivering the whole night. I literally thought I was going to get hypothermia. So then you wake up the next morning and we still have, I think about 4,000 feet of elevation to get to 14,000. And once what, what ended up happening was, uh, it just became too dangerous. Like, you know, I, I definitely, I can push through a lot of things, but, um, if you know, like how like uh, bouldering works is just like, you're basically just climbing over rock after rock and they're like 10 feet boulders. Well, there was just a layer of snow atop all the boulders. So we had no clue whether or not we'd fall. Like, like what ended up happening, what made my buddy and I turn around is we were at about 13,000 feet. So about a thousand feet to the summit, probably like an hour left. And, uh, my buddy takes a, a step and his foot just goes like completely deep into the thing. And he kind of gets it stuck for a second, and, like pulls it out and starts laughing. And uh, I remember thinking to him, like, that wasn't funny, dude. Like <laughs> if, if you, if you would have taken both your feet, right. And stabbed, like you might be down like 10 feet and I might not be able to get you out. And then while we're sitting there, we see like these footprints, which ended up being mountain lion footprints. And I was like, yeah, like, this is in our environment. We're going, we're going Whoa. back down. Dude, I'm thinking this is like a trail hike. So you're actually like climbing over rocks and shit. Yeah, we got to the point. Well, and th th that's where the snow kind of uh, screwed us over was the trail became uh, invisible. And we kind of just started, you know, like, oh, there's the top. Like, that's for sure where the peak is. So let's just keep going up. And there was nobody out there. There actually was a few different groups of hikers that 
had all the equipment, which was another thing. I had no equipment. Like I didn't Bro, like you were a in the Michigan wrestler. hoodie. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing a Michigan hoodie, like, you know, like Michigan like team issued sweatpants. Like I saw these other people in snow pants. They had their spikes on. And they literally said to us, like about five hundred feet back, like, Yeah, there's no way we're gonna summit today. It's you know, the conditions are too extreme. And remember my buddy and I like, oh yeah, these people, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and yeah we got up and then you know but it was great for the story and i'm gonna be back out there hey before uh you know before this year ends i think i'll i'll summit that that mountain i love it man that's crazy that it was like the professionals out there were like people with the legit gear they weren't even doing it and you guys were pushing ahead yeah well i think that's a wrestler mentality can kind of uh sometimes it can it can it can be great but other times it can put you in a lot of danger and in this situation, I was like, yeah, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to keep pushing through that. You know, it, <laughs> we probably could have turned back a few, you know, hundred feet before we did. But like I said, great story. Regardless. Dude, next time rent some gear, would you? You had like the socks, the wrestler pants tucked into the socks. It was, it was like you were just out for a spring hike. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's kind of what the, that mentality is what got me as high as I did. I was just like, Hey, we're running it. (laughs) I love it, man. Miles. I mean, it's been an honor to have you on my friend, big fan of the family and and all that you guys are doing and best of luck to you as you wind down the training here. You know, we always wind off with this. How did wrestling change your life? You're still in it and wrestling is your life, but what's something wrestling's giving you? Uh, I think the biggest thing, you know, where wrestling changed my life is just, it's, given me kind of an approach to, to all the other areas where, you know, with, with the value of, uh, you know, hard work and discipline, um, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of achieve anything if you, if you put your mind to it, um, you know, and value wise, like I said, uh, you know, there's, there's no sport like wrestling. It teaches you, you know, discipline, humility, um, you know, perseverance. Uh, you know, I've, I've been through a lot of me personally, I think where it's changed my life is, I've seen, you know, some of the lowest lows and highest highs and um, kind of taught to, to keep a level head through all that. So that's the big the biggest thing. It's it's evident, man. And uh, you're a great role model and, you know, a lot of, a lot of good stuff to come. And I know 2024 is right around the corner, man. So we're watching and we're fans of you. And again, just thanks so much for coming on, boss. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this interview with Miles Amin. This episode was brought to you by Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your custom team apparel order for the upcoming season. To listen to past interviews, go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com.